Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we're joined by The Athletic's Matt Slater. And coming up with the news that EFL side Derby County are set to go into administration and face a point deduction. We're joined by Paul Appleton, a leading insolvency practitioner with first-hand experience in working with football clubs who enter administration to explain the process. Then we're joined by leading business economist Mark Gregory, who's written a book that outlines his vision as to how English football can break the cycle of its professional clubs getting into severe financial difficulties. Uh, So let's start with Paul Appleton on the pod, a partner of Begby's Trainer, a leading corporate rescue and recovery practice. Paul is a chartered accountant and a licensed insolvency practitioner who has worked directly with professional football clubs in England who have gone into administration. Let's keep it very, very simple to start with. Paul, what is administration? Administration is a tool to do one of three things. The first is to rescue the company as a going concern. So the club is owned by a company. Okay, so so in in football administrations, you are looking to rescue the company if you can. If you can't rescue the company, which in most administrations outside of football, you can't do because the debts are just too high. You then move on to the second purpose of administration, which is to generate a better return for creditors than they would get in a liquidation. So for example, in an administration, you might realize £100 more than you would do in a liquidation because it's perceived to be a rescue of the business. Whereas liquidation is the grim reaper. You know, it's like, you know, it's all over the the crowds on the pitch. If you can't achieve one of those two things, then you simply move on to the third purpose of administration, which is to realize money for the secured and or preferential creditors. And that is, so for the secured creditors is effectively like the bank that has a mortgage over over the ground or the preferential creditors, which up, up until last year were purely staff, so so employees, for up to £800 worth of wages that were due and any monies owed in terms of holiday pay. Because of COVID and everything and everything that's been going on in the world, there was, uh, there was something called the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act last year in the insolvency world. And what that has reintroduced after 20 years of not having it is preferential status for the inland revenue, so for the HMRC. For HMRC. Now, what that means is that if you as a company owe money in terms of PAYE uh, for national insurance employees for VAT, that is all now preferential and has secondary preferential status after staff, okay? So after the staff get paid. Now, in a football insolvency, and I assume that's what we're talking about, in a football insolvency, what the EFL insists on is that all football creditors get paid in full, okay? And that is they gain preferential status, okay? So for example, 
an example of a football creditor is obviously a player. Also, another example is a manager, a coach, etc., etc. If Arsenal had a problem and they owed money to, say, Chelsea for a transfer fee for, let's say, Lukaku, who I'd love to sign, then if you get if you if you have that, then and you know when you when you buy a player, you normally pay, pay on the drip. So you go into administration and you owe Chelsea, Arsenal owe Chelsea fifty million pounds. That's a football creditor. Now, also, what's lesser known and, and changed in recent years are that all staff of the club is also a football creditor. So if you have a football administration, the EFL insists on all football creditors being paid. So that means your players, your staff, all of your employees, any money's owed in terms of uh, transfer fees, etc. Now with the changes in rules from last year, the HMRC are now a preferential creditor as well. So if a club had a problem and if it needed to go into administration, the difference in rules from a normal administration as opposed to a football administration, is that you have, the EFL, as I say, insists that you have to pay the football creditors in full. And if you're paying the football creditors in full, you also have to pay the preferential creditors in full because you can't distinguish. Very simple, administration, rescue the company. If you can't rescue the company, try and achieve a better return than you would get the for the creditors than you would get in a liquidation. And if you can't achieve that, then you try and get a return for the secured and or preferential creditors. Is there a greater desire to, to do the first thing and save the company in football than there maybe is in other businesses because of everything that a football club is to a community. Well, yeah, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Mark, completely, because, because the, the, the big thing about, uh, about football is the community. For example, when I, when I was the administrator of Bolton Wanderers, um, you know, the, the, the big issue was the community, you know, because, because it's so important to the community to keep the club. Now, just if you can't achieve purpose one, i.e. the rescue of the company, it doesn't mean that the football club is necessarily going to go out of business. Berry was an example, of course, where it went into liquidation because they just couldn't do anything about it. Interestingly, I was approached by many Berry fans to see if I could help them uh, shortly after I'd sold Bolton. It's not necessarily the case that you need to achieve purpose one to, to be able to save the business. You have to, Remember, you have to distinguish the business from the company itself, from the, from, the, from the limited company, okay? The limited company owns the business. So whilst the lim limited company can fail, the business can still go on, you know? Um, I mean, this is often a thing with, with football clubs anyway, isn't it? Because, I mean, being a massive football fan myself, you know, I believe that my football club is mine, you know? It's not owned by, yeah. by the people that actually have the, you know, have the keys to the kingdom. So, so, so you know, so, so it's, I suppose, in, a, in an administration with a football club, you are generally looking to try and achieve purpose one because you want to keep the club going, you know, and, and by that very means you want to keep the company going. But you don't have to keep the company going to be able to sell the, to save the club. So in Bolton, the company didn't keep going, but we were able to sell the club. There are three main assets, if you like, in a football club. One of the players. Two is the ground. Okay, and what's the value of the ground? And then remember, there's always restrictions in terms of what the value of the ground is worth, because a lot of a lot of people have got into football as a property play because they've looked at football and they've looked and they thought, well. What about the property that the club might own over and above the ground? I mean, I was very heavily involved in Portsmouth Football Club. Again, I don't want to talk about specifics, um, which I did with Trevor, Trevor Birch. Um, Trevor, of course, is the is the C uh, CEO of, uh, of the EFL. And I was more predominantly involved in all of the property that was owned around the ground. Okay, so, and that was where there was um, some 
some serious value. And I actually sold that to the Portsmouth Supporters Trust before, before Trevor completed the sale of the football club to the Portsmouth Supporters Trust. The third asset, of course, is the golden share, the share that you own in the EFL. The thing about the share is how easily transferable is that? So ultimately, it depends on circumstances with each case and what, what, what agreement you come to with the EFL. But yes, predominantly, I would suggest you are trying to rescue the company. So you are looking at purpose one of an administration with a football club. A lot of people think CVA, you know, company voluntary arrangement, that's the way you exit an administration. Now, when I did Coventry, for example, the CVA that we used to bring Coventry out of the administration failed because the revenue uh, voted it down. They didn't agree with what happens. And often that's the case because a lot of creditors feel like they've been, because the revenue at that stage didn't have preferential status. So they weren't getting the same deal that the football creditors were getting as insisted on by the EFL. So what actually the EFL did a few years ago, they changed the rules and now you don't actually need a CVA to exit an administration. So so when I did Bolton, I didn't exit the administration with a CVA. I just exited it via liquidation. Let's go back to Bolton because Bolton obviously got their automatic 12-point deduction for going in, which everybody knows but they were faced with a further points penalty if they failed to meet the terms of their exit strategy, which they which they managed to achieve, which they managed to achieve, but it did go kind of to the wire. So there, so there are potential points penalties on the way out as well. We were in very heavy uh, negotiations with the EFL on the points, and it could have been a lot more than twelve points. But you may recall that it was no more than twelve points, and that was that was a big win. And that I mean, listen, I worked very very closely with the EFL on Bolton. It was an exceptionally difficult deal. Uh, I, I don't want to go into into the uh, the specifics, but it really <laughs> probably in my thirty five year restructuring career it was probably the most difficult deal I think I've ever done. And it was quite a miracle that we got the deal away. Um, and and football venture are now doing a phenomenal job with Bolton and they've gone up and they're doing pretty well though they lost the other day unfortunately specifically what happens is that if you go into administration there's an automatic 12 point deduction depending on what time of the year you go into administration is dependent on when you receive that 12 point deduction so the the general rule the general rule is if you take if you go into administration before the third week in March you get that 12 point deduction um, in the current season if you take the if if you uh, go into administration post the third week in March, okay, you then get the twelve point deduction in the following season. Of course, when I got appointed administrator of Bolton, it was in the middle of May, um, which had its advantages because it was the end of the season. But the problem was you got the twelve point deduction, and if that was if you couldn't appeal against, and if that was a thing, they started the next season minus twelve points, and that's what actually happened to Bolton. So they went down from the championship, they went into the first division, and they started with minus twelve points, and they also started the season with about twenty five kids playing. So um, it was a little bit difficult for them. We are obviously talking in the week that Derby are most likely to enter administration. So Derby fans will be desperate to know more about the process. What is happening this week? What did Derby do on Friday with their notice to a point? And what is happening this week? What's happened is they've served notice last Friday. You'll get to the end of this week and then the proposed administrators will be appointed. I would imagine that what is being discussed at the moment is how the club is going to be funded. Because if you look at, so, so what the moratorium will do is it will mean that all of the creditors that the club actually has at the moment, so the revenue, any debts owed to the footballers, you know, anything, any money's owed to, to everyone, that's all put on hold and no one can take enforcement action. What they're going to have is they're going to have a problem as to how they're going to fund the club when it goes into administration. Because there's only certain, there's only a certain amount of, um, of, of different areas where you can generate revenue. So I would imagine at the moment, there's probably very high level talks going on between the administrators and between the owner of Derby as to how the administration is going to be funded. 
because the problem will be that there's not enough money being generated in the turn uh, uh, through the turnstiles, through merchandise sales, through any uh, through any uh, sponsorship deals, uh, deals, any money's coming in from uh, from TV. Sort of the you know as you know you get parachute payments when you come down from the Premier League, but you also get solidarity payments every year. So that so that so the Premier League are funding the AFL to the tune of X amount. But the, the likelihood will be that whatever they are generating in terms of income will not be anywhere near enough to meet the ongoing liabilities of the club. So I would, as I said, I would suggest at the moment that what's happening is there are high level talks going on as to whether there can be any loans made into the administration to allow the club to trade. I mean, they're probably going to be looking at what they can do in terms of players because, because the fact that the club's gone into administration in some of the players' contracts, they may be, they may be automatically terminated by the fact that that's happened and the, and, and the players could walk away. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know what will happen vis-a-vis the manager. I don't know what Rooney's being paid, but you know, you know, I'm sure it's not uh, not a small amount of money. And the question will be, can they can they afford to keep the, you know the coach on? Can they afford to keep all the all the coaches' assistants on? What are they going to do with the players? What are they going to do with the academy? There's all these type of things when you put on a, a game. Um, you know, there are so many things you got to do, and that's all got to be paid for. The problem you're going to have with Derby when I did Bolton. We, we, I was appointed at the end of the season. When I did Coventry before Bolton, I was appointed during the season, so it was more difficult. They are going to be running the club. I mean, they're, they're literally running the club, you know, and they're going to have to put on games. They're going to have to make sure this is all in place. You know, so, so it's all these high-level talks, how they're going to be funded. Those are the sort of things that are going on at the moment. Are St John's Ambulance considered a football creditor out of interest? No, they're not. Therefore... The unsecured people who are probably responsible for the safety of everybody who are going to a ground could easily go, well, well, hang on a minute. We can't keep putting this service on in the hope that we get paid in the future if we're not one of the preferential creditors. So if St John's Ambulance are owed money and there's a moratorium, they don't get paid that. But for them to turn up at the ground on Saturday and say we're going to provide our services, they are going to insist on being paid, and you're going to have to have that money. And listen, look, we all saw what happened in the Euros in, in the summer when, when Ericsson went down. You know, you just have to have that now. You know, you cannot put on a game without that sort of thing. And all of that costs money. Administrators cannot run up debts, can they? No. They are not allowed. No. An expensive administration is, is a payment that has to be made before anything else, to include the administrator's fees. And something else that you should be aware of, guys, after 14 days of an administration, if you haven't made the staff redundant, you automatically adopt their contracts. And what that means is, as an administrator, you are liable to pay certain amounts of money as per their contracts, like their wages and their holiday pay. So you have to pay that, and that has to be paid first. Try to sell a club like Derby. Derby is a, a traditionally a, 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 you know, a great club, you know, a little bit like Bolton, a little bit like Coventry, the, the last two big football administrations that I've done. And they have a, a very big community. They've got a very big fan base. You know, on the face of it, they're a very attractive club. Now, what are you going to pay for a club like that? Remember that because it's in administration, there's certain creditors that you have to pay. You are going to have to make enough money available to pay the preferential creditors in full. So that's all the football creditors. So whatever football creditors Derby have, they are going to, the EFL are going to insist that they are paid in full. Now, whatever preferential creditors there are, they're going to have to be paid in full. So those preferential creditors are all the staff, remember, and they're also now the revenue for PAYE, National Insurance Employees, VAT. Okay, so all of that money needs to get paid. Now, I don't know. I mean, there's numbers being banded around in the press. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be a number of million, maybe tens, whatever it might be. So you've got to pay all that. Now, 
the ground is secured. Okay, there's a mortgage on the ground. So if you're going to buy, if you go and buy a house, you don't buy it with a mortgage, you buy it unencumbered. So if you're going to buy the ground, because without the ground, you can't, you know, you can't play football. Look at the problems Coventry have had for however many years. It was one of the major issues I had with Coventry that people just couldn't understand. You know, the the issue with the fact that they didn't own the ground and wanting to, to, you know, do a deal at the time with, with the charity that owned the ground and all that stuff. And all these years later, they've just gone back and they still haven't sorted out the ground. The point is, you're going to have to do that. So you're going to have to pay off the secure creditor. So before you've even thought about paying for the club, you've got to make enough money available to meet all these payments. Then you've got to make the EFL insist that in an administration, as a minimum, you have to make 25 pence in the pound available to the unsecured creditors. You've got to pay the secure creditor. You've got to pay the preferential creditors in full. You've got to make enough monies available to pay the unsecured creditors 25p in the pound. Okay, that's tens of millions. Then you have to be able to pass the fit and proper test of the EFL. You have to show that you've got enough money to be able to run the club for the next three years. Now, what's it going to cost to run Derby on an annual basis? 15, 20 million at least, you know, whatever it might be. I don't know what the numbers are. Then on top of that, you, you know, you've got a squad that's aging. You're going to have to have money available to invest in the team. If you think about it, before you've even started, looking at tens of millions of pounds just to just to pay off the creditors. You're looking at tens of millions of pounds to be able to run the club. You're looking at an enormous amount of money to invest if you want to have a team that's going to challenge. To, because, because the likelihood will be that if, if Derby do have the additional nine-point uh, deduction as well as the 12 points, and I know it's being um, that they're appealing it. But if they, if they were, I mean, the likelihood will be that there's a very good chance they'll go down, although maybe they won't. If it's only 12 points, They've got a season, they do really well. They might not necessarily go down, which would be amazing. But if they if if they do, then they're out down into the uh, into the first division, okay, with no point deduction. It's a hell of a lot easier to fund a club in the first division than it is in the championship. But of course, you don't get the same amount of revenue. So you've got to have very deep pockets. I mean, I always say to people who come to me um, and say they want to buy a football club, the first question is, why are you mad? You're sort of suggesting that a prospective owner could be looking at, at having to show that they've got 70, 80, 90 million pounds to be able to, to fund Derby if you look at what they've got to pay at the moment and then three years worth of funding. And that's a Derby that could very well drop into League One and, by the way, could go again depending on depending on points deductions or whether they have to just play kids next year or whatever. So you're saying to prospective owners, you might need 80, 90 million and you could be a League Two club. In two years' time. Completely. How do fan-owned groups manage to buy football clubs that go into administration? With great difficulty. With but great it has been done. Well, it was done by Portsmouth. And yeah. They were the first ones to do it. And, and that was that was amazing. And they've been pretty successful with it. Yeah. Well, Mark, you do not go into, into football to make money. It's a vanity thing. It's an ego thing. You know, a lot of the time. Well, unless you're Robert Abramovich, for example. I mean, of course, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the two big... I suppose the two big things in football in the last 40 years were, of course, the, the, the you know, the Premier League in, in 92. And then Abramovich, when he came in in 2003, I was involved in Manchester City. I acted for Shinawatra when he sold Manchester City to Sheikh Mansour. When you've got, you know, when, when money is no object, like it, it would appear to be in terms of, you know, for Chelsea or Man City, then it's a, it's, it's a different game. But if you look at the EFL today and you look at the 72 clubs in the EFL, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would imagine that at least 80 to 90% of all clubs in the EFL are insolvent. Wow. 
If you are a wealthy owner, but your club is heading into administration, can you fund it within current regulations, financial fair play, et cetera, et cetera, to keep it? This isn't with it. This isn't with any specific reference to any club. But can a wealthy owner save a club within current financial fair play, et cetera? If you're looking at Derby at the moment, the owner has put in a lot of money. Mm. I don't know how much money he's put in, but he's put in a lot of money. One would suggest that if the club is going to be rescued, whatever he's put into the club, forget what's been put in for the ground itself, but what he's owed for the club, which will be unsecured, guys, by the way, unless he's taken security, which I don't think is the case. You know, But if, if that's unsecured, well, what would he get paid in administration? Is he willing to walk away from that debt to enable the club to be saved? So, so, the, so, so Mark, it's a difficult question to answer. Money talks. And of course, if you have substantial money that you can put in, I mean, you can always invest money into a club to pay off your creditors and then you put them and then you're a creditor on the balance sheet yourself. And if you're willing to write off that debt, well, there we go. From your experience in working this, a transfer fee is a problem because football creditors always get paid. In an administration, if you're owed money by the EFL, which you're going to be reliant on to run the club, for example, as an administrator, if you've got no other forms of income and yet you owe money to a football club, they won't release the money to you. They won't actually release it to you, so you can't get it. So, um, I mean, transfer fees often in administration are one of the only re- the, uh, the only ways you can get some money in. So, for example, when I did, um, and this is only because it's public record that I'll, I'll say it, but when I did Bolton, I sold a kid called Luca Connell to Celtic. Um, Celtic were brilliant with me. They were great. You know, I got I had a quick I had a quick negotiate negotiated with them. They were very fair with it, and it was very interesting actually that because I don't know if you know he was under contract, but because it was a Scottish team. They could just ignore the contract and just make him an offer and he could accept it, which was news to us at the time. So we had a big argument about it. But anyway, they were very fair with it, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, tra- I mean, transfer fees are often one of the main ways of generating some revenue within administration. But as I said, contracts are often terminated by administration because they'll be signing in the contract, which says it's automatically is. So that's why all the players can just walk away once the club goes into administration. Is it easier to buy a club that's gone into administration than one that is a month off going into administration? Very good question. Again, depends on circumstances. What is a football club worth that is that's got a hundred pounds worth of assets and a million pounds worth of liabilities. So then you're looking at, again, you're looking at, you know, a simple company. If you have a company, if you wanted to buy a company and you looked at it and it's got a hundred pounds worth of assets, you love what it does, but it's got a hundred pounds worth of assets. It's got a million pounds worth of liabilities. What's the value? It's a pound. It can't be worth anything more than that. So, so if you look at any, so if, if you want to look at Derby based on what their debt might be, what is the value of that club today? Now, to someone who loves Derby, it's in, in their veins, they're part of the community, they want to, you know, the, the trust. Because also remember as well, when it goes into administration, when you've got a supporters trust, you have to go to the supporters trust and give them the opportunity to buy the club in the first month. So no doubt there will be talk, immediate talks with the administrators and the Derby supporters trust about, about that. And maybe Derby supporters trust is going to be looking to put some money together to make a bid. But often, more, more often than not, they don't have the, the ability to do so. I mean, Portsmouth was a very, very, you know, great was a great example of a very rare occurrence where that actually happened. But they had some very good people behind them, some very shrewd businessmen who were able to borrow money and be able to buy what was needed to buy the club. But where are Portsmouth today? They're still not, you know, high up the league. Big one. No, exactly. Paul, thank you very much. Uh, for your time cheers guys this is a paid advertisement from better health therapy online do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest we all carry around different stresses big and small and when we keep them bottled up it can start to affect us negatively therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down 
And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. So how can the cycle of clubs getting into financial difficulties be slowed down or even stopped entirely? Mark Gregory is a business economist and an advisor to governments and industry on economics, policy and regulation. He's also the author of a book called More Than a Game, Saving Football from Itself. I've mentioned uh, your credentials there, Mark. Have you, have you actually worked in football or sport? So my background is really in... Um economic regulation so with people like Ofcom the telecoms industry the electricity energy industry which we're kind of you know seeing at the moment for about the last decade done a lot of work on the economic and social impact of sport so we published a report on the Premier League what their economic contribution is then we've looked at clubs Stoke Newcastle West Ham what the value is of what they do in their communities working with a kind of professional services firm also got involved in a lot of the takeovers in football stadium deals. So, so it's a mix of being an economist and some football work as well and other sport. Your book is uh, more than a game saving football from itself. Does it need saving from itself? Can it be saved from itself? You know, I think it, it does need saving from where it is at the moment, but it can be. And, you know, particularly the English game. I mean, there is so much, money relative to any other league, you know, two billion euros more than La Liga, that it deployed properly and managed properly, I think it can be. I'm sure it can be. It's quite interesting you mentioned it, the English football there. I think we should also say English men's football, because we've had we've had a couple of really interesting discussions on this podcast about the money coming into the to the women's game and how they use that. And actually in discussions we've had with the FA on this show to say I think one of the biggest challenges for the women's game is that it doesn't follow the men's professional game. Now there's the influx of money. Yeah, you know, and I gave evidence to the Tracy Crouch's panel, which obviously has got Dawn Airy on from from the women's game. And you know, one of the things I said was, you don't want to get too close to the men's game, right? That actually, yeah. other than to learn from what not to do, because it it seems to me you've got a successful model there that's developing, you know, and actually doesn't have many of the challenges that the men's game does. Matt, Mark, I I've, I've read a big chunk of your book last night and a bit more this morning. It's a, it's a really interesting read. It, it reminds me a lot of David Conn's book a few years back. And it's, it's a fantastic sort of summary of how we've got to where we're at, mm-hmm. right? This, this sort of kind of history of the development of the game, the influx of money, how that money hasn't been particularly well distributed, the sort of kind of, I don't know, winners and losers yeah. impacts and effects of, of, of capitalism, I guess unfettered capitalism in, in terms of football. And and, I'm, and I must admit, I haven't read the bit at the end yet, which I think is your conclusion, <laughs> right? right? Now, now, but I'm already sort of starting to get a sense, I think, of where you're going with it. You've already mentioned the fan-led review. And I think there's something quite interesting about the way you've written this book. There was a, there was a you meant to finish it earlier, yeah. right? And then the sort of fan-led reviews come along. And I think you sort of see this 
as a way out, something really significant. I'd finished the first draft when COVID hit. You know, I was literally on my way home. Stoke had beaten Hull 5-1 and kind of the world looked pretty good, book was finished. And then obviously, you know, we all went into meltdown. And then, then Project Big Picture came along, which actually meant another kind of rewrite. And then actually the Super League. And I, I think the Super League plus PBP is when the big clubs gave power back to fans potentially in the political system because they overreached. I think there's no doubt about that. And so the fan-led review had been promised in the manifesto in 2019, but hadn't really happened. Then all of a sudden, within days, Oliver Dowden announced it. So it does feel to me this is the chance just because of the way the political dynamics have changed. And you know we have to seize it. And, and actually, I started writing the book because I was frustrated. And by the end, I thought, well, really, if if this gets people engaged, we should all have a conversation because I don't think there's a right answer to how you run football, but you want a consensus and everyone to have a view on that. We spoke to Tracy on, on the pod when she was just setting out on this journey. I, I know she's been around and she's spoken to an awful lot of people and we're, you know, we're now all eagerly awaiting yeah. to see, see what she's, what she's going to come up with. She, she pretty much told us right at the beginning that football was going to get more regulation. Yeah. It was going to get an independent regulator. So what do you think that regulator is going to look like? Where's it going to sit? What sort of power is it going to have? It's clear we're going to have more regulation. And actually, if you look at, um, you know, the comparison, and Mark spends more time on this than me, but the NFL, you know, which is actually a closed league, you know, no promotion and relegation yet, you know, you have salary caps, you have salary floors, you have the draft, you have kind of the fixtures tweaked and you have full revenue sharing. So that's a simple league to run really with much more regulation. So it, it seems inevitable in a pyramid, you, you need more regulation. I think the bit that hasn't yet come out, and, and and I have worked a lot with regulators, is what are the objectives? And, and at the moment, that's a bit fuzzy, I think, in, in Tracy's review. She talks a lot about sustainability of clubs, which is I think we all agree is important. But for me, it's also what level of competition do you want? That, that actually the regulator need, needs to think about. You know, if you look at the history of the game, that's always been at the heart of, you know, trying to balance money and competition on and off the pitch. So, so I think you have to really clarify that. And I think that's where the financial distributions come in. And maybe we'll talk about that in a, in a second. But then does it need to be an independent regulator separate from the FA? I, I'm less convinced than most people about that. And I would point people to, what's going on in the energy market at the moment is the sense that just because you have a regulator doesn't mean everything's going to be fine, right? You need clear objectives, but you need a better structure. So for me, you know, I'd want independent non-executive directors on club boards. I'd want a proper owners and directors test, probably a supporter ombudsman and, and more fan engagement. So you've really got lots of ways where different people can input and hopefully provide checks and balances. Just, just a regulator unchecked, I, I don't think is necessarily the answer. Our previous guest talked about how many of the EFL clubs he thought were operating at an insolvent level, yeah. which was the majority, I think, uh, I think Paul yeah. thought. 80%, um, yeah, 80%, 80% to 90%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, way, yeah definitely yeah. the majority then with the, the figure he gave. In your opinion, what causes the majority of the financial problems within the professional men's game? Looking at it as an economist rather than maybe as a, an accountant or a financial expert, you're trying to look at the whole system. And, and for me, I think the problem is no one is in charge end to end. You know, and if you want a pyramid, you have to manage the pyramid, but actually that doesn't happen, right? Because it's it's fragmented. And, and the FA 
kind of openly admits it delegates responsibility, but that leaves a vacuum. And I think the Premier League, particularly with Richard Scudamore, held it together. I think actually that's gone now with the Premier League. You've seen the big six and whatever. And why that matters is because a lot of the distortions start at the top and filter through. And you have you have this huge opportunity to make money and this huge pressure to kind of compete. But you, you have clubs at the top spending so much on wages that that filters through. So, you know, Derby are obviously in the news. You know, the Derby Villa game, the losers of that were going to be pretty much financially bankrupt. You know, Villa lost 70 million that season. And actually that was after they got 14 and a half million compensation from HS2 and 36 million from the deal they did on their stadium. So they would have lost two and a half times the revenue if they hadn't got promoted. They literally bet the lot on, on that. And they came sixth, I think, sneaked into the playoffs and made it and, and Derby lost. So, so I think you have to address who manages it end to end and then the financial balance in terms of trying to you know make the rewards sort of manageable but the way you go after those just um, a more balanced way which I think means more revenue sharing through the system. You've mentioned pyramid a, a few times does a pyramid structure lead to greater financial problems and, and, I, and I look at this with so many different. I mean, you've mentioned the NFL yeah. so obviously there's no pyramid structure and everybody's very secure. Yeah. I look at some of our sports that have dipped in and out of whether to have yeah. promotion relegation rugby league has done it not done it yeah. done it they've tried to have a license system hasn't stopped clubs having financial problems within yeah. rugby league yeah. rugby union currently is now not having relegation yeah. in, the, in the premiership they've got 13 yeah. teams cricket doesn't have relegation and yet some counties are 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 really really struggling yeah. and it's hand to mouth it's not a case is it of of lose a pyramid and, and everybody's secure, but does there can be more stability without a pyramid? So there's a, a really interesting study that was done at Liverpool University as to what drives the TV audience in the UK. And they, they looked at the audience every minute for seven seasons. You know, the, the drivers of the Premier League's revenue are the battle for the title first, the relegation battle second, and then actually kind of in the middle with the battle for the Champions League's places are the brands of the biggest clubs and particularly Manchester United and Liverpool. And, and actually when they play, that, that drives huge audience. So, so, but the pyramid matters is the point there because actually that relegation piece is important. So it's not just, you know, we're giving the money to support the pyramid. There's actually self-interest in, in that, which is, you know, Brentford are the 50th club in the Premier League. That dynamism, I think, is important equally so is sort of new teams coming through you know the rise I mean you could argue Chelsea's rise and you know Manchester City so I think the pyramid makes it harder to you know what we said earlier I think you need more regulation in a pyramid than in a, a simple system like the NFL but you can manage the pyramid but the cliff edges are the key problem right and the the championship Premier League cliff edge is obviously the one that creates the most challenge so I think you've really got to think about how you smooth the smooth the pyramid through mark in your book you i mean you've you've mentioned it already but there's a there's a sort of theme that the system is unbalanced uh -huh. yeah. and you've talked about the fact that there's the, the english football system makes a lot of money yeah. relative to its european peers and yet clearly and we've just talked about the you know smoothing yeah. the smoothing the gaps the old trickle down economic theory isn't quite working is it now there is a section in the book on project big picture 
which was a grand plan, mm -hmm. a, an absolute master strategy with good bits and bad bits yeah. and everything in between. Yeah. But, but absolutely central to that plan was that 25% yeah. of the Premier League's revenues should filter down the pyramid. Now, is that something that you would agree with? Yeah, pre the Premier League, 50% of the rev TV revenue was shared outside of the top division, um, you know, in the old TV deal. Today, it's sort of under 15%. You know, and, and so my view would be somewhere between those two probably makes sense. And actually, as you say, Project Big Picture went to 25%. So that's almost doubling what we had now. So even the, you know, the big clubs accepted that there was something to be had there. The, you know, I think the question is how much and then getting it right. But why it benefits is firstly, it's a bit like a handicap system in racing. If you take some money off the top, you, you make the teams below stronger, but also you're closing the cliff edge to an extent. The, the other bit I would do with it, and this definitely wasn't part of Project Big Picture, is I would try and equalize the TV distribution in the Premier League. And, and the way I'd do that, first of all, would be the teams who get into Europe get a double benefit because you get a higher payout of the domestic pot, but you also then get all the European revenues, which is, you know, both commercial and TV. So actually, if you if you maybe had a much narrower distribution in the Premier League, funded some of the extra distribution to others by taking off the clubs in Europe, then you're just squeezing the gaps a bit. You know, you're not going to and don't want to weaken Manchester United or Liverpool, but... I think what COVID showed us is even minor tweak, little tweaks, you know, sort of when the fixture schedule was compressed, teams didn't have the time to prepare or whatever. Actually, suddenly the Premier League was much more unpredictable than it had been in, in recent times. So I think, you know, even sort of relatively small shifts in the money will increase the competitive balance, but will definitely filter through the system. It's really interesting that you raise. The, the, the impact of European money, UEFA money, because that I think has been one of the sort of unreported, yeah. underreported, sorry, elements of the last 20 years that it is it's rocket fuel. You know, these guys already had an advantage. They were big city historic clubs, they had big grounds, loads of fans, they sold more shirts. And then on top of yeah. that, they got access to this wonderfully lucrative, successful competition, the Champions League. And it just compounds and compounds and compounds. And you see that distortion actually happen outside of the UK perhaps yeah. even more in more stark terms, don't you, with these serial winners? But you said that you don't want to weaken Manchester United Liverpool. But, that, but that's exactly what they, they would say, but that's exactly what you're doing. They would say, we have to compete with Real Madrid and Barca. I don't want to artificially make them equal to everyone else. You, you, you know, there'll clearly be some weakening of this. And, you know, and, and that argument about international competition is always made. But, you know, if you look at this, the situation, I would say... The Premier League is now relatively even stronger financially compared to the European leagues than pre-COVID. You know, you look at the transfer window, I think Premier League net spend sort of 600 million, sort of European net spend about 100, right? Five, five times or more. So you look at the problems in Barcelona, I think really other than PSG and Bayern, I'm not sure there is a competitor out there. And actually that's the other regulatory challenge, which is I think you have... Three, maybe four clubs, you know, Manchester City, Chelsea, PSG, and because of their owners, and Manchester United, just because of their brand strengths, who are just operating in a different system at this point. And I think you do need to try and temper that to, to some extent. You go back to the uh, the cliff edge, because that's yeah. that that strikes me as the the fundamental yeah. issue, Mark, really. Yeah. Which is 
most of the clubs that have been in real problems in recent years and administration yeah. have all had Premier League history. Derby being the latest, but obviously Portsmouth and Bolton and Coventry, Berry are probably the, the exception to the rule, and there are yeah. very different circumstances there. So, so we're, we're looking basically at championship clubs gambling to get in there and, yeah. and parachute payments. They're the, they're the two big issues, yeah, really. That's right. So, so I think if you, if, you, if you can have a better revenue distribution, so the gap just is managed a little bit better. And then, you know, parachutes are, I would argue, a symptom of the problem, not the, not the cause of, of the problem. You know, you are just trying to bridge this gap. And, and for me... So more revenue distribution makes the gap a bit less. The, the other things I would do is um, think about uh, old, in contracts, you know, automatic wage reductions with players. So you have, you know, a 50% pay cut if you get into the championship and, and that goes down the pyramid. Again, have the same cliff edge management between every division. But probably what you have to, to have alongside that is, is an accounting adjustment. So... You know, when a team gets relegated, you probably, even with your wages, you've still got the transfer fees you've got to account for over a, a period of time. So you probably want to give the clubs, if they can fund it sustainably through the owners, they can actually write off some of that money there. So rather than having a parachute, you have an accounting adjustment. So they come back to the championship and they're competing. You know, they can lose thirty million pounds a season, like every team in the championship. You know, whereas you look at, at Stoke's losses since they were relegated, they're huge, right? And if it hadn't been for COVID, that, that would probably have been problematic. So, so I would have try and bridge the gap with some revenue sharing, have um, the contractual ar- arrangements, and then have some one-off accounting adjustment for for clubs if they can afford it. So you you, you kind of again you're trying to smooth it down as well as up. There. Sounds quite simple, that. Football is is not a complicated business, right? I mean, it just gets money in and pays it, pays it out, basically, and you just want to regulate that flow. There isn't really much else going on. I mean, it's not, you know, we spend all our lives obsessing about it, but it's actually quite a small business as well, In, in which, which is another reason why I worry about an independent regulator, because, you know, if you look at telecoms, BT, Sky, all these companies have huge regulatory departments. You can't imagine you know, every football club is going to deal with that. You don't want a massive burden as well. But so are they, would would they be easy to implement? Because let's let's take players' contracts. I suppose you'd need the PFA on board to negotiate exactly. that, and that's a and the collective bargaining agreement that yeah. we've we've spoken about before. Yeah. But I'm assuming opponents to that would then go well. Oh god! Well, if our if our players drop fifty percent going down from Premier League to to Championship, they'll all bugger off and try and play in Germany or or try and get a, another deal in in the Premier League. So they'll they'll never accept that, and we'll lose our players. You would have a release clause, right, for the players. But you know, think of it. Let's say Stoke got promoted. You know, we want to sign another Shakiri again to get that player to come. He's not going to take a 50% pay cut. But if he knows he gets released at the end of the contract and the club has the ability to write that off, then actually you make that work. So with the PFA are important. I think, you know, you need players and supporters at the table in a way the game's never done that in the past as, as part of the kind of governance discussion. You know, the other pitch to the PFA is if we can make the game more sustainable, there might well be a some redistribution of income from the very top through the pyramid. But actually, if you're representing all your members, isn't that a positive, right? You know, what's a union shouldn't just be about representing the elite. Actually, it should be about kind of fair pay, good conditions 
for, for everyone through through the system. So so I think that's workable. I guess the one other thing I do, which is probably the hardest, is I think you know is self help in terms of the player development. So I, I think you know the the elite player performance system, the current academy system, allows the very top clubs to actually scoop up too much talent. And you know if you look at the history of the game, clubs selling players up the pyramid was one way of generating extra revenue. So, you know, I'd be trying to understand what we could do there to have more transfers flowing. So this summer, only six players went from the EFL to the Premier League, you know, and it was 22 last summer, but pre-Premier League, it would have been 100 players or, or whatever, right? So I think, it, you know, that would be the other bit of this would be create some self-help again in the system where, you know, clubs down the pyramid can develop players and sell them up. And you, you look at the England team in the summer, most of them have either been at lower league clubs or spent time at lower league clubs. So it isn't like we'll be damaging the development of players. We've referenced the fact that you're a Stoke fan. There's a Stoke shirt on the wall behind you. It, the book starts at Stoke. We're talking about Derby this week, though. And is there? it's really interesting that you mentioned that the luck involved of that, of that Derby versus Villa game. Is there? Is there not sort of kind of good luck, bad luck situation here with, with Stoke and Derby as well in that in the Stoke's owners, they're both wealthy people. Mel Morris and the Coates family, both wealthy. But the Stoke family, they just seem, I don't know, I don't know if they're wealthy. I think they are a little bit wealthy. I think they have more cash. And they have been willing, they have been willing to sort of foot these huge losses. Now, maybe Derby pushed it too close. I think Derby have got in trouble with the league. They've lost friends within the football community. And maybe that's another difference. You are both big clubs that are no longer in receipt of parachute payments. You're trying to compete with, with teams that are that have a 40, 50 million pound head start. It's tough. It is tough for those teams in that division. Do you have sympathy for Mel Morris? Do you have can you see how he has done this? You can see that the signs have been there for a while, which is you know, the wage bill sort of tripled over sort of four or five years. Their transfer spending went up. And, and they were so close, right? And they play off semifinals twice in the, in the playoff final once. And you can see why you keep pushing that. But, but I think probably the, the difference is, you know, Stoke have, have lost money as of Derby, but it's been kind of managed better, you know, I, I think. And there wasn't a stadium sale in there, you know. So there, there were signs at Derby it was going too far. You know, Stoke and Derby have similar debts, sort of a couple of hundred million pounds each. But actually, Derby's was clearly less manageable. You know, when you're selling your stadium back to yourself, then those are the warning signs. And, and I think, you know, as a Stoke fan, I would say this, but I don't think you should stop owners being able to invest in the game. You know, but the Coates family have also invested in the academy to a, to a massive extent and, you know, made sensible investments. And I think what we want is we want clubs to be sustainable if they're well run. What we can't have a regulation is we'll just bail out everyone. You know, that, that doesn't make sense. So I think, which is why I come back to the point that if you've got non-execs on, on boards that are independent, if you've made sure, you know, you put owners through the test, hopefully you've got better governance that you can just spot these things before they, they really happen. Are you optimistic or pessimistic? I am optimistic just because I think, as I said at the start, that political shift has helped. And, well, let me say, this is the best possible chance we have. That's what I'm optimistic about. 
I'm not as optimistic that we'll deliver on it because you know we've all seen the political process and whatever the fan-led review comes up with, it's still got to be implemented. And there's you know clearly a government and a political process you have to manage, and there's there's clearly going to be challenges there. But this is this is the kind of once in a generation moment, I believe. Mark, thank you very much for, for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, well done. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Right, that's it. Thanks to all our guests this week. Dan Bardell back on this feed on Friday to look ahead to the weekend. I'm back on Tuesday for the Athletic Football Podcast. And Matt Slater will be back with me next week for the Business of Sport podcast. Don't forget, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, then head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for a 33% discount off the price of an annual subscription. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.